From the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. Spend, spend, spend. The Chancellor Sajid Javid's turning on the money tap. But where's it coming from? It boils down to a simple thing. Everybody in government and in opposition wants to splash the cash but there ain't any cash to splash. Our associate editor Julian Glover's been unravelling the new fiscal rules for a new economic era and is suspicious about what he's found. Also, they might consider voting for Boris Johnson because of Brexit, but they won't feel comfortable about it. Ayesha Hazarika doubts Labour voters will switch to Boris Johnson, despite ex-Labour MP Ian Austin saying they should. But will the resignation of Deputy Leader Tom Watson send some to the Lib Dems? And... Well, we knew immediately something happened, just like everyone in the audience. And uh, the, the best thing about it was the fact that the, uh, the front of house responded so well. We spoke to a shell-shocked Death of a Salesman star, Wendell Pierce, just after part of the roof in the London theatre he was performing in collapsed. And I happened to be in the audience at the time. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, Julian Glover explains what Sajid Javid's decade of renewal really means. Spoiler, higher taxes. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. There'll be new hospitals, schools, railways. Change. Investment on a scale never seen before. We will borrow some more to invest. £250 billion of investment here and around the country. We can invest more, but we will continue to live within our means. It's been a battle of the chancellors. The incumbent Sajid Javid versus the contender John McDonnell. Both have set out strategies to spend very large amounts of money. But Mr Javid's also changing the fiscal rules. And our editorial column sees what he's up to. Number 11 is doing a heroic job trying to restrain its neighbours. But they too want to spend more. Sajid Javid announced a £100 billion fund for a decade of renewal. That's code for higher capital spending. All this borrowing by the Tories further shatters the fiscal rules that Philip Hammond established to constrain Theresa May. So his successor is proposing new rules. Markets will see straight through this kind of thing. So why are the Conservatives going through these contortions? Because they want to borrow more, while preserving their dividing line with Labour. The risk is that they blur a distinction that should be clear. Yes, the Tories want to spend billions more, but Labour want to spend a great deal more billions than that. That's the real choice. Our associate editor, Julian Glover, has been through the Chancellor's new rule book. Julian, this all seems very complicated. What's going on here? So today we're taking a look at spending plans, debt, money, a leader with lots of numbers in. Quite complex, but really, really important. 
And it boils down to a simple thing. Everybody in government and in opposition wants to splash the cash, but there ain't any cash to splash. And so what the leader shows is that the Conservative Party, number 10 and number 11, Chancellor and Prime Minister, slightly different views, don't always maybe communicate, but they're both doing things, which is to spend a lot of money. And they're trying to make it look like they're not pushing up the debt or busting those rules that they set to be responsible. And they're doing it. They're going to borrow more money and make it look like that's not a problem. But in the end, as we say in the leader, borrowing now will mean taxes in the future. Do you think the general public, though, are going to understand all of this, though, about what's happening? There's a lot of maths. There's a lot of regulation. It's very complicated, isn't it? Does that message get across to people? I don't think the detail will. Nobody can really understand the detail because we haven't heard it. We haven't heard a budget. We were supposed to have had a budget from the Chancellor. Instead, we got a general election. Uh, we haven't had detailed analysis from the government. We aren't going to get OBR figures, Office of Budget Responsibility, the, the quite powerful formal body that was set up under the coalition government to look at the spending plans of the government and check how the numbers were. They're not going to put out their interim findings. The elections put everything on hold. So what we'll get is under the table leaks, allegations, claims, boasts, all the nonsense of politics and not the real bill. And the public will pick up two things, I think. One is that more money is going to be coming into things they want to see more money go into. And then they'll have to decide if they trust Labour numbers or Tory numbers more. And that'll probably just depend on prejudice. And they might pick up another thing, which is nobody being that responsible. It all sounds a bit too easy. It's like someone coming along and promising you a new car and a sunshine holiday and free bottle of wine for life. And who wouldn't want all of that? Sounds great. But you know there's a catch. And there'll be a bit of suspicion that there's a catch and they don't trust either side. And that will also play into the characteristics of the leaders of the Conservative Party and the Labour Party. Polls show it's a battle to the bottom, really, with public trust and ratings. Jeremy Corbyn absolutely on the floor on that. But Boris Johnson, not all that loved either. And I think the Chancellor, not at all known. A new person in the job not really understood. I imagine if you went out into the streets and said, who is the Chancellor? A lot of people would scratch their heads, probably even some of them working in the Treasury, given the situation between number 10 and number 11 at the moment. Actually, that's quite interesting. I wonder if today's been a bit of a battle of the Chancellors, both the Conservatives and John McDonnell laying out some of the Labour's budget plans as well. Who's winning? Well, we'll find out at the end of this episode, or at least at the end of this series of, of general election days, so a bit longer to go. Um, I think the Conservative Party got knocked off track in the week. Uh, they're trying to get back on track by talking about money, not mayhem. Uh, and the Labour Party, well, it's pitching a very straightforward leftist view, which is we can borrow lots of cash, we can spend lots of cash, and we can squeeze the rich. And if people want that, that's the message they'll hear. The Tory Party is trying to say we can spend lots of cash and borrow lots of cash and not squeeze the rich. And lots of other people will like that message. Meanwhile, the Lib Dems are just talking about Brexit and they've done their Remain alliance. So they're staying away at the moment from numbers. Even though Jo Swinson says she wants to be prime minister, that's what she's fighting for in the Lib Dems. Good, clear claim. But I haven't yet heard the Lib Dems say who's going to be their chancellor if they become the next government. So if that claim is to be taken seriously, maybe they need to have some spending plans too. And of course, they could end up being the party of, of, of sound money. We could, all sorts of strange things could happen. Next. It's really come to something when I tell decent, traditional, patriotic Labour voters that they should be voting for Boris Johnson at this election. That's former Labour MP Ian Austin on BBC Radio 4's Today programme, urging Labour voters to switch to Boris Johnson. The standards Aisha Hazarika doubts it'll fly, 
But are there other attractions for those put off by Jeremy Corbyn? Conservatives had a terrible launch to their election campaign, but Labour isn't doing much better. The deputy leader, Tom Watson, resigned, and one of its former MPs, Ian Austin, thinks the party's supporters should vote Johnson over Corbyn. Our Londoner editor, Aisha Hazarika, is here. Aisha, it's not been the best start, has it? Certainly the news about Tom Watson last night resigning was like a real bombshell. It's not a secret that he had been very unhappy in the party. and um, He had a very different position to Jeremy Corbyn on Brexit. He had spoken out a lot about anti-Semitism in the party and his card was definitely marked. I remember him saying to me um, at the Henley Literature Festival in October, you know, I think they're coming for me. But this does come as a big blow, particularly um, to moderates who are not as hard left as Jeremy Corbyn within the Labour Party. He was seen as the flag bearer for, you know, probably not more centrist, but, you know, a, a more kind of mainstream form of, of Labour politics. And I think there's a lot of people, a lot of moderate MPs and activists who will be doing a lot of soul searching today and thinking, well, if Tom Watson couldn't bear to stay in the Labour Party and go and campaign to put Jeremy Corbyn in number 10, should we? I suppose Tom Watson was a kind of a check and a balance on Jeremy Corbyn and then the the, the left side of the, of the Labour Party. Is that now over? Is there no centre part to the Labour Party now? I'm going to be really honest with you. It does feel that way. It does feel like Tom's resignation last night was kind of the final nail in the coffin of whether you want to call them moderate, centrist, Blairites, whatever the, the whatever kind of... But people that don't agree with Jeremy Corbyn, basically. It does feel that that's the sort of last gasp. And in a way, I suppose it was always heading towards this point. Jeremy Corbyn does own the party lock, stock and barrel. He uh, controls the National Executive Committee. He has the support of most of the trade union movement. He um, you know, has control over all the staff and the infrastructure and the sort of regional infrastructure and obviously HQ. The last bit of the sort of jigsaw was people like Tom Watson and Labour MPs who were against him. And they are really dropping off now you know you've seen people like John Woodcock who had you know resigned a while ago but he's stepping down um you know you've you've seen a lot of other people throwing in the towel but but Tom Watson was really the last bastion so they're going all in for supporting Jeremy Corbyn is that going to work is the resignation of Tom Watson damaging in this election that's a really good question now I think it's it's definitely damaging to the reputation of the Labour Party but out there in the country in terms of voters, I think if you already don't like Jeremy Corbyn, you've already made that decision. If you sort of thought that he wasn't your cup of tea, there's probably a small number of people that were hanging on saying, look, I'm going to give Labour, you know, one last try because of people like Tom Watson and because there was this argument that you could stay and try and fight from within the party to make it better. I think those people may well decide to change their votes now, probably go Liberal Democrat, um, I would imagine. Are they going to vote for Boris Johnson, as Ian Austin, former Labour Party member, appealed for them to do today, or said he would do anyway? 
There's probably people who are strong Leave supporters in some of those kind of northern and midland territories. Now, they might consider voting for Boris Johnson because of Brexit, but they won't feel comfortable about it because it's still quite a line. It's quite a kind of emotional line to cross. And what they might be more inclined to do is probably vote for the Brexit party if they stand in their areas. But for a lot of tolerant, you know, Labour Party supporters who do care about things like, you know, being inclusive and tolerant, I don't think, just as much as they abhor Jeremy Corbyn because of anti-Semitism, they look at Islamophobia in the Conservative Party. They look at the comments that Boris Johnson has made about black people, about gay people. They look at things like the Windrush scandal. They look at the fallout of Grenfell and the comments that Jacob Rees-Mogg has just made. And I very much doubt that they will think, right, well, we're not going to vote for one person because they've got questions over racism and vote for another person who has got questions as well. I think that's unrealistic. But I do think the big beneficiary of what Ian Austin is 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 rightly highlighting will be Joe Swinson. Now. We apologise. We're glad that no one's hurt. And I ask you all to come back and see our production. So as of now, turn to your loved ones and friends to your left and right and say, which pub are we going to? <laughs> Just minutes after 1,100 people had been evacuated from a performance of Death of a Salesman at the Piccadilly Theatre, its star Wendell Pierce was out in the street reassuring a shocked audience, shaking hands and taking selfies. I was in that audience, just a few rows back from where part of the ceiling collapsed onto the grand circle during the performance. No one was seriously hurt, but seeing a roof crack then fall is a truly scary experience. There were a lot of people crying outside in the street. And when Wendell agreed to speak to me shortly after it happened, he seemed pretty stunned too. Well, we knew immediately something happened, just like everyone in the audience. And uh, the, the best thing about it was the fact that the, uh, the front of house responded so well. And uh, all the safety procedures that are in place to make sure that everyone gets out safely and evacuated safely all worked very well. It was a very quick response by the theatre. Yeah, As was. somebody who, you know, an actor here, you must be quite pleased that, you know, the audience protected. It, it, just, it just showed you how, how well how well prepared the staff here at the Piccadilly is uh, and, and, and the staff and production on the, uh, on the show is. Our critic Nick Curtis has been writing about theatre safety for The Standard. Nick, we're privileged to have some of the most beautiful theatres in the world in London. Are they safe? This is the second time that a part of a ceiling has fallen in in one of our historic theatres. Uh, part of the problem is nobody really knows uh, what went into the construction of some of the mouldings and plasterwork of these historic playhouses, and they were quite often, for all their grandeur and beauty, put up quite quickly. Um, Frank Matcham, the great theatre architect, used to build two theatres a year across the country. By and large, I would say a visit to the theatre is probably pretty safe. Although this was far, far away from the stage, I would expect that the actors, the performers who are working in London theatre right now are really keen to, to feel safe it, 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 where they work. I think that's that's true as well and I think for them it must, even if it doesn't directly affect them, um, uh, last night's collapse happened in the Grand Circle I believe of the Piccadilly Theatre. It certainly did Nick. I, <laughs> <was right. laughs> I believe you have personal experience of this David. <laughs> 
And I think for actors like Wendell Pierce, the, the theatre they're performing in is a bit like their home, so if uh, something goes wrong, it feels like uh, they've been bad hosts and have, uh, have, have upset their guests or, or you know, made their guests feel threatened. Yeah, that's the impression I kind of got from him last night. He was very keen to reassure the audience and then say, this show will go back on. But I think there was another eight weeks left of Death of a Salesman to run. How are they going to fit that in? Um, I imagine if they've got structural engineers in who say that... Uh, uh, there's no problem. There's no uh, question of a further ceiling fall or any further sort of debris coming down from the ceiling. Then maybe they'll be able to seal off the affected area and they will be able to carry on. But I would I would hesitate to make any definitive statement on that. There isn't another theatre free at the moment. That I think that they could get into. So it's not as if they can just sort of pick up and uh, and move next door, as it were. Do you worry that London will get a reputation for? not being safe following two very similar incidents? Do you worry that other performers, international performers like Wendell Pierce will maybe go, mm, should I work there? Uh, no, not really. Uh, weirdly, um, I think even between the last ceiling fall and this one, this one has been, apart from the people who were directly affected, of course, including yourself, doesn't seem to have sent out the shockwaves that the last one did. I'm sure there will be a lot of soul-searching in the theatre world and there'll be a lot of um, theatre owners sort of wondering whether their theatres are safe and carrying out safety checks. But it is great testament to, to theatre staffs who are not paid a lot of money that they... Uh, you know, that they are this capable and uh, and committed and, and serious about what they do. I doubt very much that it will stop uh, performers wanting to come work in London because we are the preeminent theatre capital of the world, even more so than New York these days. And that's The Leader. Now, every morning at 7am, we send a bulletin to smart speakers to set up your day. You can get it by simply asking for the news from the Evening Standard. And on the way home, this podcast will analyse and explain all that's happened in between. We are available from 4pm. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.